Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming back for the Didi and Lital show. Very excited. This is the show when we talk about life, security, and how it is to work in this crazy industry these days. Hi, Didi. How are you doing? I am awesome. The Bruins right now, as we are recording, are at the top of the league. They are 7-1. For now. For now. Listen, we take what we get, and we don't get upset. Right now, it's the week before Thanksgiving, the weekend before Thanksgiving. That's why I'm wearing my, uh, not Thanksgiving, Halloween. Halloween. That's why, that's yeah, why I, you're, you're ahead of yourself. No, that's because Brad Martian was supposed to get back in Thanksgiving, and he came back right before Halloween, scored two goals, got a couple of assists. We are very happy to have him back. And I'm wearing my Skeletor t-shirt to make sure that everybody remembers that this is Halloween if you see us on video. Excellent. Looking forward for some trick. We have a guest today. Yes, Welcome, we Dimitri. We have Dimitri Sokolovsky with us. Very excited. Uh, Dimitri is the CISO at Avid. Dimitri, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Thank you, guys. Thanks. It's, it's great to be on the show back in front of a mic after many, many years. I love the Skelter t-shirt. <laughs> you have to say the Skelter because most people won't know what that is. You have to explain what that is. I am the CISO Chief Information Security Officer at Avid Technology. Those of you that own mics, like the one we have in the studio, we'll probably know that the company, there's the marketing line about high-end audio video processing equipment and all that. I usually start with the company has one Grammy, two Oscars, and 20 Emmy Awards to its name, technical achievements in the media and broadcast industry, and some like 400 plus patents that we walk by every day in the, in the office. That's where I get to do my security and life coaching. For how long have you been at Avid? It's actually, today is a year, uh, sorry, four years and one month. Exactly. That's a lot of time spent. Multi- multiple people have told me that CISOs don't live that long. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Know, they said two to three years, something like that. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I guess my fourth, so I guess I need to start looking. So people say, but I'm also, it's the CSO, the chief security officer at Avid responsible as the CSO for the product security. And that's not four years old. That's probably like two plus. So there's still some work to be done there. How much is it software related and how much is more hardware manufacturing? Honestly, I don't even remember the number correlation hardware versus software in terms of sales, but it's not, it's not small for us. Avid hardware include S serious boards for live shows, anything from something our our host here would use at the studio, all the way to something like ACDC concert live events. We have uh, a line of extremely high end storage arrays that are specifically designed for really powerful video, you know, even our own file systems. So all that is hardware, but I don't think we produce actually produce any of it. We uh, you know put together there's installation components and what. Uh, from security perspective, we have a little bit of coverage on that on that side. Uh, it, just when I started, out, actually, there was an article that came out about. I'm not gonna. Can we name countries here? Yeah, I so, think we can. So, can, you know, Ch- China. Was, there was there were concerns that some of the server boards uh, manufactured in China had components on them that were hard to detect. We're talking millimeter 
size chips layered within the solder lines on the board, and you, you can't detect them or theoretically can't detect them. And then after some form of sequence of, of a, a signal sent to them, they then turn themselves on and become transmitters of some kind. Remotely operated, potentially. Potentially, right. So that was literally maybe three weeks or four weeks after I started, this came on the news. And so I ran over to the VP of, of hardware and I was like, look, this is this is happening. So we had to go and vent the risk management process. We had to go through that cycle and figure out who are suppliers, where they are on the list of, of those that were potentially implicated, found that we had none, and also talked about how to incorporate some checks in our release process that would at least, you know, from due diligence perspective, cover us that we, we are at least looking. We're definitely not the three-letter agency, so we can't really dissect these, but we're, we're doing what a, what a commercial company can do. Vital, we kind of dived right into the details. I Absolutely. Think, I think what we wanted to get out of the conversation today is a lot of people are asking, how do you become a CISO? How, how do you end up being a CISO? Why do you choose to be a CISO? What does a CISO do? And I have my own personal angle that first I want to give you the plug to, to talk a little bit about your endeavors. And second, I, I, I'd like to kind of talk about our favorite topic of how do you explain to laymen? Because a lot of what you need to do is explain both to the board up and to your team down why you need to do X. And X can be a million things, but if you don't do for example, my favorite topic, MFA policy. What is the exposure? What's the risk? What's the possible damage? And things like that. This is the stuff that you and I have to deal with daily. But I, I would start with the, it, the how do you get to be a CISO? And if you have any advice for anybody that gets to be a CISO. How do you get to be a CISO? So I have a, I have a 10 plus, 11, 12, something like that, people on my team, let's say a, a dozen, and we have this conversation from time to time, especially recently. I promoted three of them. They became team leads. I just hired a director of security. I have a project manager. And they all came from very different areas. And I don't think any of them except for one came from security. The director of security I have now was an IT manager. The project manager that we have now came from development. And they all asked me, what are we going to do? We, we don't know security. How, how are we going to do this? And, and I said, you know, except for two of them, maybe three of them, the rest of them have kids. So for those, I said, you have kids, right? So like every day, you make sure they don't get killed by the stove or, you know, chickens crossing the road, right? You're continuously doing risk assessment and risk management. Just bring it here. And for those that haven't, don't have kids, there is risk management and risk assessment they do on daily basis from that ATM is unlit. Maybe I don't go in that ATM. Maybe I go into another ATM. And uh, that yellow light, and I'm going 30, should I, should I speed up or should I slow down? What's my risk, right? So, so yesterday I had this conversation with my son. He was, he was stuffed at the Shabu, you know, having the soup and everything. He's already, like, sitting, leaning back, and then they bring another load of the gyoza, whatever, the little dumplings. And he immediately reaches for one. And I go, look at that dumpling. Is that dumpling worth barfing over? This is your risk assessment because right? he doesn't care. He doesn't no, but then he, he he stopped and he looks at it. I go think real hard. That one right there in your hand is that one worth barfing over? And he lets go, 
He goes, nope, it's not. <laughs> so and first, I would like to say that your child is more mature than I am because <laughs> I would not stop. So great achievement. And, <laughs> uh, and at least one of our offsprings probably would not have stopped either. <laughs> so and not as good as you. Exactly. So, so, so that right there is your audience within the company, right? There are people that will take the dumpling and people that won't take the dumpling, regardless of what you tell them about it, right? So anyone can be a CISO because what a CISO is, a CISO is many, many, many things. And above all else, CISO is a storyteller and I'm even going to say a salesperson. CISO always sells. You have to be able to sell to other people that that's something that they're about to do or not do is not as good as the alternative. I mean that's what sales sale, selling is a, is is all about, right? Don't don't buy that, but buy this. This is way better. Why is it better? Well, ABC, of course, and duh, right? So that's what CISOs do. You have to be able to convince other people positively. You have to be able to tell good stories. You have to be able to translate. Uh, Didi, you mentioned the boards and management. CISO is in a unique position. We're like we're like Istanbul, right? The crossroads of of the world, but it, it you know is still used to be from for for generations, where where many many different things come together, and either fight or agree and and live prosperously ever after, right? So we have all of the people below us, techies, IT networking, product management, I mean, you name it, all those people that live in zeros and ones. Technology is their world. And they think in that world. They think in those terms. They think in binary, sometimes in hex, right? Depends on what, what is it that they're working with. And when they are trying to explain that to someone who isn't, they don't understand why they're not understood. It's, it's like a kid, right? The kid is talking to you in a language that the kid knows and you don't speak that language, but the kid doesn't get it. There's, there's no understanding that, that there is such a, there's actually a difference. There are others that don't think like you do and don't operate like you do. In fact, many of the Israeli startups, we, we talked about this off air a while back, they suffer from the same issue. People coming out of the army, right, they're used to a certain mode of operation, sort of mode of life. And then they try to bring it somewhere else, and somewhere else doesn't live like that. And, and they don't know what to do. So CISOs are translating tech up. But at the same time, the people up, the board, the E-team, the VCs, whoever you want to put on the up, they don't speak tech. They speak the other language. Business. Business language. Revenue. Whatever that is, the, you know, whether you want to call it the language of lies or, or whatever. Revenue, money, right? The fake component, or is it not fake? Is it really fake? Economy, all that stuff. That's what's floating up, up there. You've got to be able to tie what's at the bottom with what's at the top because what's at the top is now, today, wholly dependent on what's in the bottom. And if they don't talk, they don't communicate to each other, both will lose. And so CISO is in that position where we understand the tech and hopefully the good ones understand the business or at least are trying to understand the business. And when we can start communicating and teaching both sides about each other, we're like marriage counselors in many ways from that perspective. So that's what we do. We translate and we tell stories. How do you teach your team to learn more about business? Because I assume, as you said, most of them came from IT, that kind of maybe product background. Maybe they're not as exposed to the business as you are. And how you translate and teach them about 
the consequences, the things that are working. And are you the only translator or are you empowering your team to translate as well? So in addition to being the storyteller and, and translator, CISO also needs to be a teacher, an educator, exactly for the same reason, right? It's not, it's not just enough to tell the story. You have to be able to tell the story so it lands. Now you have to become a teacher in many ways. Luckily for me, I really enjoy it. My, my, my childhood dream was to be a physics teacher, like high school physics teacher with all the cool physics experiments. I Pause really here. We might need your help. Our 14-year-old daughter... I still need to explain G to her. So, good to know. <laughs> I, I said that's what I wanted to do, not that I can't do this. I have so I know some tricks and some cool experiments, and that's how you start. You get people... So, the reason why that's important, that part is important in any learning, is in order to be, to be successful at learning, you have to be curious. You have to have curiosity for the topic. Some people are born with it. Some people find it as they're doing whatever. Oh, my God, that's interesting. I'm going to go learn that. And some need to be explained the value of that. What is, what is, the, what is the value of that particular piece of, of, of learning? So, Lital, to your question, how do I teach my people about business? We have to start with curiosity. Why should we do this? It's not go, teach, go learn this. It's this is interesting. It's pretty cool. It does these things. And as if you find a thing interesting, you inevitably are now turning your brain on and you're starting to build the neural pathways for new things. And this is how we build neural pathways. we learning new things, right? So now your brain is, ooh, you start getting dopamine from, from new, I mean, you generally get dopamine from new information, but in this case, it's also, it's interesting. So we need to create that interest. At my company, at Avid, it's actually not that difficult. The things my company does are really cool. We get those uh, company videos or we get like a, I don't know, Tiger King editor coming into the to the company show, I mean company meeting and talking about shooting the Tiger King, the crazies that they get to work with. That's really, that's cool. Or watching audio track being developed for Dune or the, the Top Gun, the, the latest release. I mean, just the knowing that the, these people were there on stage to accept an Oscar or something like that. It's just mind-blowing. And so that part is, that's not difficult. The difficult part is when we start talking about finance. We start talking about marketing. We start talking about things that are uh, out of the cool world. So we have to try and find ways to show that there is value in what other people are doing. And, you know, how would, for that we actually have to engage. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what marketing does. Why is it cool? What's, what's good about it? And for that, we have, have to go to the next stage of, it's actually a selling process. We're following the sale process, right? First, you've got to get curious about the, let's call it the target. And then you have to get empathy. You have to feel for the target. So then we engage with whoever that we're working with. So if we're trying to help finance, who are very difficult to work with because we speak complete. not only do we, like, it's not just business and tech. It's completely, like, out into the, um, you know, finance is like, you know, techies are yeah. the, the geeks and the people that, that everyone hides from and, and hide people from, like, you know, slide the pizza under the door, they're the engineers. I think finance is that for the business world. They're the, they're the geeks of, of the business world. And if anything, they see you as the cost burden on the business. Absolutely right. This is where money goes to die. They look at us, right? They don't know what 
what's they, coming out of they, your department. They have no idea. And so we want to learn what is it that they do. We want to learn why is it that they do that. And most importantly, we want to learn from them. And learning from books about what they do is not enough. When we engage directly with them, we build that personal connection. Not only do we absorb that energy from them, human energy, we actually give it back to them. Now they remember us as, a, as humans with curiosity and empathy. And it's hard not to have empathy for them because when soon as you start talking to them and you realize the problems they're dealing with, wow, like we look at our problems, like, oh, my God, they got problems. Too. Yep. They got way bigger problems. And worse, they don't have tech to help them because they are not techies. So imagine you needing to calculate something incredibly complex and you got a pen and a pencil and, I mean, in a, in a piece of paper and you don't have Excel, you don't have any of the automation, go figure it out. Yep. That's finance, right? And so... Oh, my God, well, they need help. They need empathy. And when we get those two going, then we can figure out places where we can bring value to them. And also, we also we understand where they bring value to us. The complexity is immense. And most of us don't understand that, just like with most things. Yep. Uh- the Didi and Latal Show will return in a moment. The Didi and Latal Show is sponsored by ORT. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, ORT can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, With ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. The DB and Latal Show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters helps your security team overcome data volume and complexity while significantly reducing false positives. Upwork uses Hunter's SOC platform to remain threat-focused. Because of Hunter's, Upwork has been able to stop going through the daily repetitive task of looking at alerts and doing lengthy manual investigations. Learn more at hunters.ai. On the finance side, one of the things I always like to tell my engineers is, remember that we are not in the software-making business. We're in the money-making business. Nobody cares if you build the perfect software that nobody buys. Nobody cares if your unit tests work perfectly if there's no customer and there's no buying. So that, that's kind of my message. And towards finance, yes, finance, I, I keep telling people that's the thing that keeps the door open. So keep that. that that's, a, that's a very interesting point. Tell us a little bit about uh, kind of our, how do you, solve the problem of explaining a security problem down to, to, to the engineering teams? They, how do you go away from the, being the team of no to being the team of I actually help you do something? Well, we, we try to start by not being the team of no. So we, we have a mission statement. We as a team have a mission statement. If, by the way, if your team, whatever team you are, whether it's security or marketing or development, if you don't have a mission statement... If your people cannot 
answer without you being there, what is it that they're trying to accomplish? And I don't mean tactically. I mean strategically at a very high level. You've got a problem. That team is not going to be, at best, is not going to be optimally f- functioning. And at worst, it simply is just going to flop in place. So our mission statement has three major sentences. Let's, let's put it like that, parts. Number one, educate whether it's the user or the business, educate the user or the business about risk awareness, risk, just generally risk awareness, raise the risk awareness of the user or the business, number one. Number two, help them learn about what is it that they're trying to achieve, their business goal, and help them make good risk decisions. So that's two. And number three, maintain a mature, comprehensive procedure set and a modern technology stack to support one and two. That's our mission. Nowhere does it say stop people from doing things. It says, so, you know, we can translate this into instead of stopping someone from doing insecure things, we want to show them how to do those same things, but securely. So it's a, it's a positive approach. So it starts with, you know, with internal conversations about this. And we continuously, let's call it hammer this, because if you're doing anything that doesn't support one of those three things, you're wasting your time. So even from goal-setting perspective, like company-level strategy statements, that's already a starting point. So if we start like that, whenever someone comes to us with a problem or we find that there is a problem, which is what, what happens more often, right? We find there is a risk. We find there is a, there is a situation. Our first priority is educate that there is a risk. Generally, there are risks, and this is one of them. We then try to understand what is it that they're doing that got them in the situation where now there is a risk and what is the better way to what is the good risk decision to make here from business perspective and whether and and to see whether we have anything in our people process tool stack that can help them lower that risk to an acceptable level or at the end of all that if if none of that worked and is still a requirement still need to get it done we we'll just help them document it so that if something ever happens we can say that we didn't simply ignore it. We made a conscious decision to move forward with this risk because we had a business reason for it, which is ultimately what companies want to get to. It's not that they don't want to be hacked. It's that the, if it were to happen, that this was a result of a, of a calculated risk decision that on the other side of it had something valuable enough to justify this risk. So if we look at it that way, we're never a no. In fact, throughout that whole process, we're never saying don't do it. We say this is a risk of a certain level, and we can help you lower it or not, and this is how much it will cost to lower it. And if at the end of the day the monetary calculations don't work out and you know, it's still, we still got to do it but we can't fix it, who should then make the decision? And it isn't us. It isn't security that's ever going to make a decision. It's always going to be the business. And sometimes the business is the CEO, depending on the level of the decision. A lot of times it's some form of a SVP, the GM, and then depending on the level of risk, it could come down to a regular director or even a manager and, you know, for small level of risk. And so we, we, I don't think we are known as a ministry of no or, yep. or department of no. And part of the reason why I'm on this show and part of the reason why I don't like to be in front of people. I'm an introvert, but I, f- I feel like this is the thing that needs to be done so that what I just described, this approach, can be 
democratized, right? That, that we want more of this to happen across the board because cybersecurity is now becoming a national security or rather national risk mitigation component. And we're all in this together. Speaking of which, I think I will let you get a, a drink of your tea. But uh, I think there's two things I'd like to get before we're done. One is I do want you to kind of cover, you, you mentioned how not to become the Ministry of No, but also what are the, the initiatives that you guys are driving towards? And I do want to kind of talk a little bit about your own personal endeavor of kind of the project that you're running. So if you can talk a little bit about that, do you decide in which order you want to address the, these things? Are you talking about like what are, we, what are the uh, directions that we're working in as a security team? Yes, please. All right, let me see what, what I can say without without so saying without saying pick, pick like one or two initiatives that everybody should do. If you, okay, if, that that may be a, a good way to approach it. Number one, assess yourself. So we assess ourselves currently every four months. We're going to bring it down to every three months. So a quarterly basis, assess yourself. Pick a framework of some kind, almost any kind, and assess yourself according to that framework, whether it's CSF, whether it's CIS controls, whatever it is, pick one and assess yourself. When you do, do you have a favorite? So we use several. We use CSF for, let's call it, upward-looking, non-technical, maturity-defining framework. So that's what I use for my board, board presentations, the CSF and the CMMI 1 through 5 levels of maturity along the NIST CSF framework. We also use one for the product development for a secure, it's called SAM, a software assurance maturity model. So we use that for the product, uh, for secure development lifecycle and then NIST CSF separately from the corporate, for the corporate security. But internally for day-to-day operations and choosing what to do next, we also utilize the CIS critical controls. It's CIS 18 right now, it used to be CIS 20 because we 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 want a very specific uh, guidance to match against. We generally know that you know inventory and vulnerability management and privilege entity management and all those things. You can just go down the list. Those those frameworks are in order of impact and priority. You don't have to think that hard. Pick one if you don't have one. If you have one level one, then go one, control two level one. When you get level one across the board, then you go to level two again back to one. Control number one. So assess yourself against the framework. Be honest. Be conservative if you have to. Then assess your resources. You have to understand what you have to work with. How many people? How many hours a week do they get to work? How much of the time is taken by things you cannot not do? So we call it KTLO, keeping the lights on. But whatever it is you call it, day-to-day operations, the things that you must do every week, every day, document those. Be specific with how much time it takes. Figure out how many people you actually need to be able to do that. You will be surprised that there is more of it to do than you think. A and B, you'll need more people than you thought to do that. Now, if you have, let's say, I don't know, five people and two and a half of them or three of them are used up for for day-to-day operations, that means you only have two people left to do any kind of projects. The projects, projects you then should be prioritizing would be a combination of of the, you know, whatever framework used, the, the controls at the low level, control one, two, and three, and so on, assess, see where you have the gaps. But even of that overall list, I would prioritize things that cause the most unplanned work. So if you're getting, kind, if you're getting hit 
someone clicks on link, someone downloads crap that they shouldn't download, things like that. All those things create work you didn't plan for, unplanned work, the worst kind of work there is, if to, to borrow a phrase from The Phoenix Project, one of my favorite books. You pick what causes the most work. If you want to, re- if you want to describe it differently, if you look at a house with a th- thermal camera, you will see that your windows have the most he- heat, energy escape. So entropy, highest amount of entropy in a system is where you want to address the most of your efforts because that's the biggest bang for the buck. As you close, as your projects close those gaps, you end up having more time, which you can then rotate, turn into more projects to close smaller gaps. That's it. Rinse and repeat. Assess. Make sure you have the resources and then prioritize and reprioritize continuously to just move down this line. Cool. Wonderful. How long does it take you to do the regular assessment? Like people listening, thinking of doing it, incorporating into the day-to-day. What should they expect? We, so we schedule uh, three hours for the corporate risk assessment using this NIST CSF and we utilize we have seven to ten people on on the line when we do it it's uh, security IT we have project managers some of the people from uh, CTO organization we even have someone from HR because there are some components that are HR related so those are the things we take about three four hours and we use today we still use a, an Excel spreadsheet specially designed one for NISCSF management, Watkins, I think it's called. But this time we're going to be shifting to uh, an online-based program. There is, uh, the, there is there are a number of them. I don't know if I can use names here. or yeah, Go for so, it. So uh, you guys probably know him, Brian Hogley and his site channel, uh, Real CISO. So mm-hmm. they developed a, a site for themselves. They, they you know, sell vCISO services, and they didn't want to do things by hand or in Excel spreadsheets. So they're like, well, just come up with a system they did and they're like wait a second we can someone told them you should sell it okay and so they're selling it so that's That's what we're probably going to use yeah what should save us time and about the same amount of time for the sam framework the next day so this is coming up on november 18th for us another refactor basically book two days you go through the Mm -hmm. the whole process yep super cool good and we have it on the calendar just like when we finish one we already put the next one on the calendar yeah Sounds to work. Didi, you had another question, I think. Yes. Give us a plug about your passion project. Let's talk passion project. You got you got to be more specific. You, you have something in mind? because I got uh, The one that you're running with Dunny. Oh, the audience first. Thank yes. you. Yes, audience first. So it's a, it is a passion project. Dunny Wolf and audience first. So, so her, the way we met, she runs podcasts teaching people, specifically cybersecurity startups, marketing and GTM teams, how to sell to people like me better. And she does that by talking to people like me and asking what doesn't work. She even has this WTF I just read site, right, where the really bad tactics are used, but she also collects the good ones. And I jumped in a podcast with her I know, several months ago and maybe more now, and we were talking and then we thought about it and we realized that there's actually an opportunity here. And again, because she's in Israel, I mean, you, you guys are aware there's a lot of, and I worked for an Israeli startup for many years. We we know what. Feel free to give Udi a plug. Udi uh, Udi Makati and Cyberarch is always going to be. It's going to be eleven years of my life that I'm very thankful for for many many reasons. And they they ran a great company. They're still running a great company. It taught me a lot of things, and they're doing great. So I'm, I'm really happy for them. But that was my you know starting point. And for the last four or five years, I've been also I've been advising 
cybersecurity startups like Ort and, and others. And we are very grateful for that, by the way. I've learned a lot of interesting things. <laughs> I'm going to start blushing here on camera. Camera is not good for podcasts. So what we noticed is that there's lack of education. Lack of education for the startup founders, for the C-level people at these startups that no one is giving. No one is teaching them about the chasm, the Atlantic chasm, right? When you get over from Europe to U.S., the different corporate culture here, what's important here, what value means here, what bureaucracy means here, red tape. Red tape was invented here in U.S., right? So it's, yep. uh, it's, a, it's a thing that is very specific to, to U.S. culture, corporate culture. And they're not taught. They don't know it. They, they're coming in with the eyes wide open, uh, really happy with the tech they have and, and full of energy after spending years in a really high-functioning intelligence community in, in, in Israel. And then they look get at, here. Look at that direction, not me. That, that's, the, that's the intelligence. That, that's I'm, the intelligence community? That's the intelligence In this family, that's where, the, that's where the intelligence is? You know, I yes. know this. We don't know. Anyway. <laughs> the 8200 community, yes. Yes, many, yeah. So, so they just don't know. And no one teaches them. And then they walk in and they, and they don't understand why it's not working. They're trying their hardest based on how they used to do it and it's not working. Sluggish sales, things not working. And oftentimes, we've seen this, they try to fix things by themselves, with themselves. They think if they just work harder and they get more involved, it's going to get better. And it's exactly opposite of what needs to happen. And I know that, that cybersecurity vendors are a critical component of our national security strategy. It's a critical component for, I'm going to say this, I'm going to sound a little naive, I don't know, but it's, it, you know, we're talking about the free world, especially today, especially with the war that's happening right now and some others that might be happening in the future. We are on the free world side, and you, the vendors, helping us are one of the more important pieces, right? We talked about people, process, and tools, tools, that whole layer, and I also believe the vendors can help into process and the people because it's also up to vendors to teach my people i can't teach everything to everyone so oftentimes i try and get the vendors to incorporate into their tooling so that's the project for that we me and danny and, and some other trying to get off the ground audiencefirst.fm is the there are a bunch of podcasts you can just come in and listen and there are various services that we offer that are really aimed primarily at education of cybersecurity startups Excellent. And I'll give my own personal example of how I benefited from that because one of the one point in time I called Dimitri and said, Hey, we are seeing a finding. How can I explain this? And this is the, the important discussions that you need to have with your advisors as a company. Try to understand, come from a humble point and say, Hey, I'm not getting through. How do I actually solve this problem? How do I explain, for example, user vulnerabilities? that that's an issue, that's, that's something that somebody needs to fix. And this is where talking to somebody like Dimitri actually helps you step back and say, this is not, not everybody sees what you're seeing. You need to actually take a step back, try to understand the person you're talking to, what, do, what is driving him to solve the problem tomorrow morning, and try to explain it in his incentivized way. Curiosity followed by empathy. Yep, exactly. So... Yes, definitely listen in and listen to Dimitri's advice. And now Lital and Didi present Prove You're Not a Robot, three final authenticating questions for our guest. If you were a cybersecurity superhero, 
what would be your name? And who would you like to play you in a movie? I think name is pretty simple. It's going to be Y, or maybe five Ys. <laughs> call it that, right? Because most problems can be figured out by going through that mechanism, right? You've got to get to the real Y. Now, who would I want to play me? Who's 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 hot right now? Uh, what's his name? Daniel Craig. I mean, he's really good. Well, yeah, he's- I, I always think of how would Tom Cruise deal with somebody that is tall as you but that's just me <laughs> now, i don't know yeah he's done pretty good at reacher i think yeah. i think he worked, worked. and Re- reacher is six four i know and he was like exactly so and maybe ryan what's his name ryan Re- gosling gosling yeah gosling the uh-huh, gosling or reynolds no no oh. gosling uh, reynolds is too funny for me i i don't think i'm i'm him i'm thinking yeah thank you that's him that's me look at that look at that look and he was amazing in uh i could Blade see Runner. him playing you uh, yeah, my my favorite of him is actually the crazy stupid love ver- with Chris uh, with what's his name, the guy from The Office, uh, Steve Carell. Thank you. Yeah, I would love if he played me as Five Wise. I'd be a really good superhero. I think. Cool. What's your favorite hacking or breach horror story? I'm sure every CISO has a horror story. Some I can't talk about. They're just really bad. I, I mean, a hacking, a breach is a horror story for people suffering through it, right? So that's that's for sure the case. Uh, we, with a with a good friend of mine, Garrett Lansing, we were on the ground for one of the breaches that made the news. We we got a call on Thursday afternoon, and we were you know, flying out on Friday morning. We were there through the weekend, worked real hard, multiple domains rebuilt. It was the company. You will you will all know it if I name it, but I'm not gonna name it. The the horror story wasn't actually the the the, the weekend. We, we it was worked really well. I'd never seen a team of so many senior people working so hard without ever saying no or why. They just worked real hard and they got that environment back on track. And it was good to see. I mean, a bad thing it happened, but at the end of the day, it was good to see. On the way back, however, there was some weather problems. So we were coming from, I believe it was Indianapolis, and we're trying to get home to Boston. And because of the various snows and things like that, at one point, even Amtrak stopped running, right? So no trains. We're trying to get home from Indianapolis. You're exhausted. We're, we're like flying, driving. Yeah, it was a train. And then we're like, well, we've got to get a car. So it's like 12, like midnight. We haven't slept for probably 30 hours at that point. And we're like, we're not sleeping here, no flights, no trains, nothing. Let's go get a rental. So now it's like ice, ice storm out. And I'm, I, I, I told Gary, I said, I can't, I'm going to pass out. We, we, we either have to like sleep on the side here or can you drive? And he's like, I can drive. And so we're, I'm passed out. There's, we can barely see the car is sliding. There's no one on the road. We drove for maybe eight hours. I think it was from New York to Boston, eight hours. We get there. I saw I slept maybe for two hours in the car. And he's like, yeah, but our car, our car is at the airport. They're going to return the rental at the airport, right? So, so I'm like, all right, fine. So since I slept for two hours, I dropped him off at home. I drove to the airport, dumped the car off, took my car, got home. So it's like 7 in the morning. I think it was a Saturday or Sunday. Sunday. And I, 
And I know if I go to sleep now, I'm going to mess myself up even further. So now I'm sitting there literally for like 12 hours watching Netflix movies not to fall asleep. So I'm probably 48 hours up. I'm starting to see pink elephants in the room. And then finally, the like 7 p.m. hits. I went to sleep. I sleep for like 18 hours straight, get back to the office. It's that trip and waking up and seeing Garrett, you know, holding that wheel and staring forward he's wide-eyed just and i'm looking like are we are we dead it's like is this is this it this is the end did we make it uh, that was probably the best end to a, a successful breach remediation that i've been to i'm not so sure it's a horror story but you know that was very very uh, unpleasant film. for me always breaches and snow is horror stories coming from the rsa region spending my my first real new england winter Coming from the Middle East, that 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 was not fun. Coming, waking up in the morning and seeing in the, that your car is covered with snow, and you're saying, oh, "What you have a playlist for that?" Yes, stuck yes. in cold weather, right? Yes, you have a yes. playlist called "Stuck in Cold Weather." So yeah. there's a song by the by Zach Brown Band, but I'm stuck in colder weather, <laughs> and th- th- that song keeps. That's rem- the RSA Breach. That's the playlist. RSA Breach play lo- playlist song. For that trip, we, we I had a soundtrack. I still have it. It's called "Wake Up." So yes. so we got like Lincoln Park in there, really loud, you know, things like that. So that was yep. that. Exactly. Last one. Didi, you want to take it? <laughs> Now should I take it? <laughs> What new revolutionary technology innovation will arrive within the next 15 years? I think it's already here. I think it's already in testing. So there, there are a couple of directions. First, I think there will be innovations in energy. We're talking about batteries made out of Uh, wood components. I don't know if you've seen that. In, uh, in Scandinavia, we're talking about that, right? So we're starting to get to the point where energy storage is going to become so ubiquitous. It's going to be like this table over here will be a battery just because it's made out of wood and there is ways to deal with it properly. It would be amazing. So amazing. energy storage, that, again, that's already been happening. But I think specifically as it relates like to us, to what we're doing, I think we're going to go into another cycle of edge computing. You know, we were talking about the cloud, right? The cloud is where everyone went. I think we're going to start. We already are getting. I mean, on the stable alone, you got one phone. I got another phone. We're talking about something like 32 gig of RAM between the two and like four terabytes. Bigger terabyte. than the mainframe I used to work on in Exa- the Army. The mainframe I played on when I was four had 128K of yeah. RAM. K. So these devices and and further we're talking start getting to the watches of the world we and then glasses and ear pods and things like that you will be running you will be walking and on you will be like three data centers worth of capacity both in terms of processing and storage this will be people's lives you will be walking around with your life and you will be continuously syncing with the 14 copies of yourself across multiple areas and wherever you make it somewhere you The environment around you is going to adjust to you based on all of that. So we will be adjusting our natural surroundings automatically, which is really what evolution is all about, one of the phases, and I think we're, we're on our way there. Cool. Super cool. That, that's interesting. Cool. I think this is where we wrap up. It was so interesting. I love you talked about empathy and curiosity. I think this is not the typical conversation you're having with chief security officers. I think a lot of our listeners you think we're like onto it. something here. I think we're onto something here. Yeah. Love it. Thank you for joining us today, Dimitri. Thank you for having me guys. It was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. 
And with that, I'd like to thank all our listeners. If you like us, please rate us on wherever you're getting your podcast on Apple Podcast or on Spotify or wherever. Please join us again next week and see you soon. Goodbye.